Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. I hope that we can get this phrase ingrained in our DNA, that we want to be a church that is with and for Sacramento. With and for Sacramento. We believe in a God who is with and for us and is with and for our city. And that as his people, we are with and for our city as well. Because we're going to learn today over the next several weeks as well from the prophet Isaiah about how God longs to be the agent of restoration for places as well as people. And calls upon his people to also be about restoring places as well. But before we jump into today's passage, it's a longer passage. So if you want to turn there already and start reading ahead, feel free to do so. But I want to to preface it. This is Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And I want to intro the text in this way. I want you to use your imagination. Imagine this. That the People's Republic of Los Angeles, okay, fictional entity, but People's Republic of Los Angeles came and took over the city of Sacramento, took over the city of Sacramento, and um, they took you from your home city. how How many of you are like native to Sacramento, like born, raised, generations, all that kind of stuff? Cool. How many people moved here in the last, like, 20 years or something like that. But you consider Sacramento home. Well, imagine this scenario. The, the People's Republic of Los Angeles came and they forcibly removed you from your home. And they forced you to live in that place called Los Angeles. Wow. Anybody here from LA? <laughs> With its clogged highways and air pollution. I went to school down there. I had to learn to breathe differently when I played soccer because of the smog in the 90s. So, so imagine living in that environment for not 10, not 20, not 30, 50 years. 50 years you were exiled, that's the biblical word, exiled from your home here and forced to live in Los Angeles. And then you came back home. And you discovered that the People's Republic of Los Angeles destroyed things like Gunther's ice cream. They destroyed all the land. Oh, I love that reaction. I just saw, I won't call her out, but a kid go. <laughs> uh, that was the best reaction. Um, but they did things like they painted the Tower Bridge purple and not King's purple, like Laker purple. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see somebody clapping their hands. They, they will, I'm, you're on my prayer list now. Um, but like all of the landmarks of your city were destroyed or changed or, or something, and you were brought back here. That's the context of the latter chapters of Isaiah, this, this exile, God's people being exiled from their homeland, much of it destor- destroyed. And what was God's mission for them? What was God's message for them? Well, with that in mind, I'd invite you and sit tight. Some of you may want to close your eyes and just picture the language that that Isaiah uses here. He's a poet as well as a prophet. 
as we read through um, Isaiah 49. When I, when I, uh, before I read it, I'm going to say one more thing. Why do you need to hear this message? Because you need to understand that the place that you live is important. Because God thinks the place you live in is important. Because God has a plan to call on his people to be agents of restoration for the place where you live. So with that in mind, Isaiah 49 reads like this. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out. To those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Just two things that I want to talk about 
Several more than that, I lied. Two things, though, I want you to take home. This passage is about our need for a savior. This passage is about all of our need for a savior. And it's also about the savior's mission to restore a city. And how he invites us into that plan of restoration. It's about a savior. It's about a city. And let's unpack what this means. What the prophet Isaiah is going to show us over the next several weeks is that God looks to restore cities. Whatever your view is, if you're a country person, if you're an urban person, whatever, but we need to understand the role of cities biblically and that one day the trajectory of what God is doing is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Book of Revelation speaks of a new city in which he himself will dwell that will look like a garden meets a city. That the trajectory of where we're going is a place where God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. And there will be a city that looks like a garden in a new heavens and a new earth. And God looks to restore cities, will one day bring shalom, this abundant peace and well-being of God Marked by that garden city in which God himself will be. Now this is not just mere Bible study this morning. This is also a call for us as followers of Jesus to be with God and his mission of restoration in the world. We are to be with and for the city in which God has placed us to live. So we're going to unpack a little bit of the passage. I know it's a long one. And then we will celebrate this table of what Jesus has done for us as our Savior. So we're introduced in this passage to the servant of God, called before he was even born. When you read commentaries on Isaiah, this is one, what's called one of the servant songs of Isaiah. There are several within the latter chapters of the prophet Isaiah. And the servant, the, the servant songs, all these scholars are, are debating. It was like, well, is the servant Israel, the nation, or is it an individual? Or is it both? You may have even noticed, like, I who called you Israel. But then it seems that the point of the servant is to bring Israel back. So is it an individual, or is it a community, or is it somehow both? And one of the things that we see here is that this servant was called before he was even born. He's likened to a kind of a secret weapon, a polished arrow in the quiver of God who's hidden in his hand. Something that is mysterious and hidden and yet emerges at just the right time to accomplish the will and the plan of God. But did you notice that that embedded in this passage is this idea that the servant feels like like their mission has failed. He he says, my labor has been in vain. My labor has been in vain. And does, does this sound familiar at all? A servant called by God who's at first appearances, maybe worldly appearances, it looks like the mission has failed. Can you think of another person in the scriptures who, who was called by God to accomplish a certain mission, but then when things went desperately wrong, 
the disciples left and fled, and it looks like the whole thing has failed. If you were in Sunday school, the correct answer is Jesus. You see, one of the beautiful things I love about the prophet Isaiah is that we can see so many echoes of what God is intending to do with his people. He is called a servant, his son, called even before creation, called to accomplish the will and the purpose of God. And by most appearances, it looks like it fails. And yet, and yet, God knows what he's doing. When it looks like death and evil win, God has another plan. Consider this scripture where after the, the, the servant here in Isaiah 49 says that I've labored in vain, it's all come to nothing. And yet he says, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. And I called this out for us because I think and yet is where we need to stop on a lot of days. What I mean is this, is so much of our faith relies upon us being able to say, and yet. Despite the circumstances I find myself in, despite my ongoing struggle with sin and brokenness, despite this broken relationship, despite the the things I've been falsely accused of, despite the, the lies I've told, despite the lies that have been told about me, the things that have been done to me, the things that I have done, despite that, and yet, I have a God, my God, who redeems me. And my reward is in his hands. And I need not earn his salvation and his favor, for he has given it to me. And yet is one of the most powerful things that we can learn to say in spite of and in the face of circumstances that speak otherwise. The gospel of God and his kingdom is one that says, and yet. Despite death and suffering, and yet life emerges, resurrected from the grave. And then if that wasn't enough, God speaks to the servant and says this. In the midst of of, of the servant feeling like like that their work has failed, God gives him an even greater commission. A greater mission and vision for what he is up to. God speaks and says, and now the Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant just to, I'm adding just, but just to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. What's God saying? It's not just about one people. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God gives the servant a vision greater than just one people. It's too small a thing, he says, just to restore one people. Now, I want to I, I do a few word study things for us to kind of flesh out why this passage is so beautiful. The first one, the Hebrew word for restore, we're going to learn this word a lot from the prophet Isaiah because he loves this word. The Hebrew word for restore is hakim which means to arise or rise again to dignity. 
to rise again to dignity. I love that. And he uses it to restore a place, but also a people. Isaiah is speaking to us about how the plan of God is restoration of a people that have have been shamed and ridiculed. But it's also the restoration and the rising again of crumbled cities and places. Think about that definition to rise again to dignity. I think that so many of us, so many of us are shackled by shame of the things that we've done or have been done to us. And one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in his salvation is that of restoration. Where he picks us up by the hand and says, you are a son, you are a daughter of mine. That is God's restoration, that we will rise again by his gracious gift, free from shame. What's also, I think, a beautiful thing about this passage, when the text says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the nations outside of Israel, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. My salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. And the word for salvation is the Hebrew word Yeshua. Ever heard that word before? We get the name Jesus. Transliterated from the Greek to the Latin. But it's the Lord saves. The name means the Lord saves. So this God to restore his people is the embodiment of salvation the embodiment of the message that the Lord saves. His name means salvation. And then finally, if you've heard this passage before, it's pretty likely that you've heard this phrase about, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The prophet Isaiah speaks of Zion, which is an often used synonym for the city of Jerusalem as having been forgotten by God, forsaken by God. But God has another plan. And this idea of engravement on the palms of the hands, commentators say this, that Israel, having been exiled to Babylon, People's Republic of Los Angeles, in my illustration, Israel would have been equated with two customs in Babylon. One, idol worshipers would tattoo the name of their God on the palms of their hands as a sign of loyalty and worship. And the other thing is that young men in love would also tattoo the name of their beloved on their palms as a symbol of their faithfulness. Anybody here once tattoo a high school girlfriend on them shoulder or something? And everybody got really quiet right there. <laughs> Maybe not, maybe it's the wrong crowd, but what is interesting is that God uses that imagery that they, the Israel would have seen in exile as a symbol of faithfulness, and he says, that's what I've done for you. David McKenna in the preacher's commentary says this, that believers in Zion, read Jerusalem, would have been visibly moved by the thought of a tattoo on God's palm that read I-S-R-A-E-L, Israel. 
Every time God opens his hand then, he sees the reminder of his people in bondage and the walls of his city in ruins. The tattoo will never let him forget them or fail in his promise to deliver them and restore Jerusalem. There's beautiful images of God's love here in Isaiah that like a mother who cares for her baby, someone committed to love and shows it in action. And when you read later in Isaiah, God's love is likened to a groom and a bride, all images that, that biblical writers will use in other places to describe how great God's love is for us. These images are analogous, they're not complete. The writers sought images that made sense to people and then went, and how much more will our God who gave himself for us love you? How much more the God who gave himself in Jesus Christ love you? So this is a passage about a savior in a city. And the point of this series is that we want to show how God has always cared for the places that he has made. He is the one who created them. And both individual and communities are called to care for their cities and to join in this work means to join with God in his plan of restoration. The Bible dances constantly between the themes of a savior and a city. Individuals and people need a savior. And they need a place to live and dwell. A city that looks like a garden. Now we live in the city of Sacramento. It's the city of trees. Or the farm to fork capital of, of California. The capital of California, the, the river city. It's a city by many, many names, Right? How can you, how can we be a part of God's plan to restore this city? And how can we call upon the Savior who longs to make things new and invite us to be agents of his restoration? So as we embark on this series, may we look and listen for the ways that God is calling us as a church to be a part of restoring the brokenness around us. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you have probably heard us talk about our mission to create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus. That's what we've been talking about the last several weeks in particular. But the second part of our mission statement is that we want to relentlessly pursue God's transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and our world. And that part of our mission is borne out in passages like this. How can we take the gift of salvation that has been given to us, our relationship with a God who restored us and is an agent of restoration, how can we take that and move into our neighborhood, our city, and the world? That's what we long to be about. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. 
We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.